this weekend, this DNL was canceled in 2020. It had to be delayed for two months in 2021. And yet I believe that God in his perfect timing has set this date for this message for you, not just the students, but for all that are here. This week, and you'll understand why, we are working through the Gospel of John, and we are in the second large section of the Gospel of John in our regular Sunday morning worship. The section that we're in right now is, is entitled or subtitled, Set Free by the Truth. And I believe that God is calling you to be set free from sin, to be set free from, from fear, to be set free from all of the things that have bound you in the recent weeks and months. The D-Now uh, focal passage this week was from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. A very familiar passage to most everybody in here, but certainly with the youth, they've heard it over and over again this week, I'm sure. That passage begins really in the first few verses using the word stand three times. It tells us that, that we have been given the power to stand against the evils, of, uh, the, the evils of darkness or against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness. And then the scripture says that it calls us to take our stand. And then in verse 14, there's a command to stand therefore on the truth. And so that word stand appears over and over and over. Well, that word stand in the Greek New Testament is the word histomy. That's the Greek word that, that we translate stand. It can be, uh, have pronouns attached to it or prepositions attached to it. Uh, I'm sorry that, uh, for instance, perihistomy means to stand around. That's what a lot of us like to do, just stand around and not do anything. But there's another uh, preposition that is attached to that word, and in English, it would be spelled A-N-A, ana. So, anahistomy. When that Greek word, ana, is attached to the, to the word histomy, stand, it means to stand again. That is the word that all throughout the New Testament is translated to rise or to be resurrected. So, when Jesus says, I will rise again, he uses that Greek word, anahistomy, I will stand again. I once was, I was down, but now I'm up. The reason that I think that is such a powerful image for us as we get started today is all week long, you've, or all weekend, you've talked about what it means to stand firm. But I'm going to present to you the question, what if I'm down? Paul's writing Ephesians 6 to Christians. He's writing it to people who, who are believers who are standing up in their faith. And he's challenging them to put on the full armor of God so that they can continue to stand. But what if you've been knocked on your butt? What if, because of your sin, you're down and out and you feel like that God doesn't have anything to do with you? He doesn't have anything left for you. What if, because of some news that you got about your health or about a family member, you feel like, you're at the end of your rope. What if your job has you so far down, you, you, it's like you're flat on your back. How can, I, how can I stand firm if I can't even stand? Well, the good news from, from John chapter 11 is that in Christ, we have the ability to stand again, to rise up. So look with me at John chapter 11, where we're going begin, to begin in verse 20. We left off last week, uh, actually in verse 27. So we're going to recover some of the same territory and read verse 20 down through the majority of the chapter. This is the story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember that Jesus got the news that 
Lazarus, Scripture explicitly said whom Jesus loved. And then it again said Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their brother. He got the news that Lazarus was sick, and he didn't go to him. Lazarus died in the meantime, and then Jesus shows up. That's where we pick up the passage. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again. There's that word. He will stand again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will stand again. He will rise again in the resurrection, in the standing, that's that word, at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary had got up quickly and went out. And they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, "How he, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus kept deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they might believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we gonna do? This man is to to do, since this man is doing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him, and the Romans are going to come, and they're going to take away our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that is to your advantage that one man die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. 
Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with the disciples. I want to walk through this and, and look at a couple different uh, ideas under this theme, standing firm. And the first, thing that, the first thing I want you to see is we need to learn to stand firm when life doesn't make sense, when life is confusing. I'm going to give you, start out with an illustration. Many of you have heard this story. Susan and I weren't a whole lot older. In fact, we were younger than some of y'all that are even sitting in this middle row. Uh, I was 22 years old. She was 21 years old. I just graduated from Howard Payne University, and she had one year left when our first daughter, Katie, was born. And when Katie was born, we'd gone through all the sonograms. Everything looked great. We were excited. The nursery was ready to go. We were looking forward to bringing her home and putting her in her bed with Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and all of the, all the decorations we had there. And after 20 hours of labor, Katie was born, and they whisked her away. And a pediatrician came back and began to list off all of the things that were wrong. And Katie had some birth defects, some issues with her heart. She had issues with her hips. She had issues that they couldn't see that were going on inside of her. And they told us that the chances of her living were very slim. And so they, they had already made contact with the neonatal hospital at Cook's Children's Fort Worth. And they were going to be flying her that afternoon up here. Our lives entered into an, an incredible whirlwind. And, and to be honest with you, it just didn't make sense. I'd surrendered my life to the gospel. I'd surrendered to preach the gospel. I knew that God had called me. I had, I had stepped away from opportunities. This was back at the beginning of, of computers and networking where, where I, I, I was planning to be an engineer and make all kinds of money. And, and God called me. He led me down a different path. And so we were doing everything that we believe God had called us to do. We had prayed about whether even not to have a child. And, and as we sought the Lord in that, we felt uh, him leading us to go ahead and, and plan on having a child. So we were so excited about what, what, what God was doing. And yet, here Katie was born with all of these issues and all of these birth defects. It just didn't seem to add up. It didn't make sense. It didn't seem fair. It was confusing. That, I believe, is somewhat of what Mary and Martha must have felt because Scripture says again and again that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were dearly loved by Jesus. Jesus would go to their home and, and, and he, they would fix dinners for him. And Mary would sit at his feet and listen to him teach while Martha served. And Lazarus was there and they had this friendship twice in, in this passage in chapter 11. The Scripture says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So why in the world, if Jesus loved them that much, when Jesus got the message that Lazarus was sick, why didn't Jesus come running? You notice that when Mary and Martha both, when they first thing they said when they saw Jesus, did you see that? When, when Martha comes out and meets Jesus on the road, the first thing she does is she looks at Jesus and says, if you were here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you come? And then a little bit later, she goes and gets her sister, and Mary comes out, and that's the first thing Mary says, Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you come? How many times in our lives do we go through things in life where it just doesn't make sense and we just want to cry out, God, where were you? Why did you let that happen? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't make sense. Sometimes life just seems confusing. Sometimes you're trying to figure out where God's calling you, where he's calling you to go to college or what job he's calling you to, and it just seems overwhelming and, it, and life seems confusing to us. We see things happen in politics. We th see things happen on the news that just don't add up, that just don't make sense. We've got to learn to stand firm when life is confusing. There's two, two pieces of advice I'd give you to do this. First of all, trust his word. When 
everything else around you seems confusing, trust his word. Jesus said, didn't I tell you that you were going to see the glory of God? Didn't I promise you that you're going to see something special today? It didn't add up. Things didn't make sense to them. Trust his word and trust his presence. Jesus made a promise in his word. He said that, that to his disciples just a little bit later in John chapter 14, when they knew that he was dying, he said, even if I leave, when I leave, you're not going to be left alone. You're not going to be left like orphans. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. Trust his presence. They were certainly relieved when Jesus showed up. Do you trust his word and do you trust his presence? As a pastor over 30 years, oftentimes I have people that come to me for counseling and and inevitably I'll hear things like this. Pastor, I just don't feel God's presence in my life right now. Pastor, I've been praying and I'm confused and I don't sense his direction. I I I don't feel like he's leading me or I can't see which way to go. And one of the things that I'll ask them is, is this. If you, you don't feel like the Lord's with you, but God's word says that if you're a believer, he's always with you. So what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what you feel, or are you going to believe what God's word says? If you will believe what God's word says, eventually your feelings will come along. Put your trust in God's word. Trust his presence. And when you come to one of those, those whys in the road and you're having a hard time deciding which way to go, I want to give you two pieces of advice here. This is, I've seen this in my life so many times. I've prayed about it and I've prayed about it. I prayed. Just recently, I, I, the Lord blessed us and I was able to buy a truck. Man, I'm, I love my new truck. And uh, the Lord worked everything up. But man, I had, there was like three different ones. I couldn't decide which one, you know. Here's something that the Lord gave me a long time ago that's really eased that, that uh paralysis, that, that, that inability to make decisions. First one is this, seek him with all of your heart. Seek him. Seek him. Pray, pray, pray. And when you come to one of those whys in the road and you're not sure which way to go, after you've prayed, trust him and take a step and go forward. I used to, I remember one time struggling through that and I said, well, what if I go down the wrong path? And God says, I just felt this almost audible voice speak. I'm big enough to fix it. I'm big enough to be there for you. I can, I can correct it. But here's the, here's the truth. If you're trusting him and you're seeking him with all of your heart, you're going to be able to trust the decision in the first place. If I'm truly seeking the Lord, I'm not going to make the wrong decision. But even if I take a step or two down the wrong path, I believe that God is big enough to correct me. The issue is not whether or not I make the wrong or right decision. The issue is whether or not I'm seeking him. If I'm seeking him and I'm trusting his word and I'm trusting his presence, I can stand firm in that decision. I can stand during those tough times. I can stand when it's confusing. So stand firm when life is confusing. And this is going to be a play on words. Stand firm when life just stinks. Because it's one thing to stand firm when life's confusing. But what about when you get to the end of the road? Lazarus had been dead four days. And everybody believed. They had seen Jesus, all all of Mary and Martha and their friends, they had seen Jesus heal the man who was blind from birth. They had seen Jesus cause a guy to stand up and walk who had not walked since he was born and to pick up his mat and go worship. They had seen all of that already. But Lazarus wasn't just sick. And Lazarus wasn't just blind. Lazarus was dead. 
And John makes sure we know that. Even when Lazarus walked out of the grave, John writes, the dead man walked out of the grave. I want to tell John, no, he didn't. He was alive by then. He wouldn't be walking. John, Lazarus was dead. Not only was he dead, he wasn't just mostly dead. He was dead, right? He wasn't partly dead or mostly dead. He was dead. There was, there was at least a belief among the Jews, among the Jewish people, that the spirit, even when someone died, the spirit didn't leave the body and go to a holding place or, or go to heaven. The spirit didn't, may not leave the body until the third day. But once you pass the third day, the body began to stink. It began to rot. And once that body began to decompose and rot like that, there was no hope. Zero. I made a reference this morning. I, I hope it doesn't get me in trouble. I got a couple of raised eyebrows. As some of you have seen the movie uh, with Jim Carrey called Dumb and Dumber. And toward the end of the movie, he is, he is desiring deeply a relationship with this girl. And this girl's just not having it. And so they kind of go back and forth. And he asks her, is there any chance that, that we might be able to get together and have a relationship? And, and she says, mm, very, very slim. And he goes, slim, like one in a hundred? And she said, no, more like one in a million. And he looks at her and he thinks about it and he goes, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? <laughs> there was still a chance. See, if Lazarus had only been dead three days, maybe there was a chance. But he'd been dead four days and Jesus was late. There was no hope for Lazarus. His spirit would have been gone from his body. His body would have been rotting and stinking in a dark tomb. But I'm here to tell you that you cannot get so far away from Christ that there is no hope. You can't be so addicted to anything in life that Christ can't set you free from that addiction. You can't be so down and out that Christ can't raise you up. You can't be so sick that Christ can't heal you. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so we, when things stink, we can stand firm. When it looks like all hope is gone, we can still stand firm in Christ. Now, I want you to see how they did it. The first thing they did, Jesus said, come with me. They walked with him. When life stinks, walk with Jesus. Walk with him. Draw close to him. Don't let him get out of your sight because he's your only hope. It was one thing for Susan and I to struggle through Katie's illness when she was born and they told us she had a slight chance to live through the night. When she was three days old, she had a peritoneal infection in her, in her abdomen. They were gonna have to do surgery to try to clean it out. They said there wasn't much hope that she was gonna live. She had a surgery one time. They told us that there was, she had to have the surgery to be able to move forward in life. But the chance of the surgery, of her surviving the surgery was 10 to 15%. The chance of the surgery working was less than 5%. What do you do? It's one thing to face those struggles when life seems that the odds are all against you. But at 14 years and 11 months old, when Katie took her last breath and we laid her in the grave, life stunk. It's one thing to stand when life is difficult and confusing. It's another thing to stand when there seems like there's no hope. 
but we can stand when there is no hope if we'll walk close to Christ. Walk with him. Then experience his compassion. He, just as he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus, the God of the universe, loves me. And he loves you. God displayed his love in this way, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. If I ever begin to doubt whether or not God loves me, all I have to do is look to the cross. Because Jesus didn't have to die that day on the cross. Jesus chose to stretch out his arms and die on the cross because he loves me. Feel the compassion of God. There have been times when I simply went into the prayer room here at church or went into the the prayer closet at home and I said, Lord, I I just don't, I'm struggling right now. I need to know your presence. And it was as though the God of the universe reached his arms around my heart and held me close to him. God loves you and he loves me. Experience his compassion. You see what happened when Jesus sees Mary crying and then he looks and he sees other of, of, of Lazarus' friends crying. The scripture says Jesus was moved with compassion and he wept with them. He wept because he cares. One of the coolest things about being able to have a relationship with Christ is he is not a God just seated on a throne somewhere who doesn't know what we feel and what we go through. He stepped out of heaven, walked on this earth, suffered and died just like us. And Hebrews says that we don't have a a high priest that has no compassion. We have a compassionate high priest who knows our suffering and loves us. And then finally, experience his compassion but obey his command. It did not make any sense in the world to roll that stone back at that point. Maybe two days ago, it made sense. And even then, you might question it. But after four days, when the body's decomposing, it's beginning to stink, it made no sense whatsoever to roll that stone away. And that's why why Martha, one who who certainly would know Jesus' love and had seen Jesus' power, she'd seen him open the eyes of a blind man, she'd seen the lame walk, she'd seen the, the deaf hear, She had seen all of that, and when Jesus says, roll back the stone, she goes, man, that's not a good idea, Jesus. He's going to stink. The body's already rotting in the tomb. He's going to stink. And Jesus said, didn't I just tell you that you were going to get to see something that you've never seen before? You're going to get to see the glory of God. So even when it didn't make sense, even when it didn't add up, they obeyed his command. He said, roll back the stone, and so they did. They walked up and they rolled the stone back. We can stand firm even when life stinks when we draw near to Christ. And here's why. We can stand firm because Jesus raises the dead. Even when all hope is lost, even when it's not one in a million, it's zero in a million. Even when it seems like there's no way I'll ever overcome my sin, even when that friend of yours who is lost has denied Christ over and over and over. It seems like they've turned and they've run away from Christ. Christ can still reach them. No one can get so far away that Jesus can't reach them. No one can be so far down that Jesus can't raise them up. The reason is not just because Jesus gives life to the dead, it's because Jesus is life. 
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So that when Jesus steps into the room, there is always hope of someone standing again. Once again, you cannot stand firm until you stand up. And it, it is only when you come into the presence of Jesus that you can stand up and find victory over your sin, victory over your suffering, victory over your illness, even victory over what seems to be death. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, what we're talking about is something that's impossible for us to do. We can't raise the dead, can we? You can tell your friend about Christ a thousand times. But you cannot bring a lost person to faith. Only Christ can do that. And so what do you do at that point? You trust him and you watch him work. Mary couldn't get Lazarus up out of the grave. Martha couldn't get Lazarus up out of the grave. All of the Jews standing around moaning and wailing and crying, they couldn't get Lazarus up out of the grave. But Jesus could. All the psychologists in the world cannot completely deliver you from your addiction. All of the counselors in the world can't provide you the hope that can only come from Christ. All the doctors in the world can prescribe all of the medicine, but they cannot heal you. Jesus is the life. If we're going to stand again, we're going to stand because of the power of Christ. It is in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that we find our hope. We can stand firm once we've stood up in the power of Christ. It is in his resurrection power, like no other power. They had seen, like I said, they'd seen the blind men healed. They'd seen the, 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 the deaf here, but they had never seen somebody who'd been dead four days come up out of the grave, and Lazarus did. Watch Jesus do his, trust him, seek him, draw near to him, and watch him do his thing, because God will do things that you would never imagine he could do. And then... Then, walk in the newfound freedom that you have in Christ. I love this image. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And John writes, the dead man came out of the grave. In verse 44, bound hand and foot with linen strips with his face wrapped in cloth. Can you see it? Can you imagine Lazarus like a mummy with, with linen strips around his face and his hands and his feet tied coming out of the grave like this. He couldn't see where he was going. All he could do was go toward the voice of Jesus. How did he know where the opening of the grave was? He heard Jesus's voice and he went to Jesus. And so he comes stumbling out of the grave with the claws around his face, his feet and his hands, and he gets out of the grave and nobody goes to help him. Everybody's just standing around with their jaw dropped down. What's going on here? He was dead. He didn't even stink anymore. They're just staring at him. Jesus says, go unwrap him. Set him free. God, when, when, when Jesus moves and he raises you up, he raises you up so that you can be free from your sin. Far too often, we, we put our faith in Christ and he raises us up and gets us out of sin and we turn around and go right back to it. We go right back to the bondage that Satan wants to throw us in. When Christ has resurrected you and he's given you new life, live in the freedom that he's given you. It's the truth of Christ that sets you free. Live in that freedom. Stand up, walk out, and live free. That kind of power only comes from the presence of the one who is the resurrection and the life. 
And then the last thing that I want you to see here, and man, this, this whole passage, I keep saying this is my favorite part of the passage. This is too. I love this. Because look at what happens here. Look in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. Well, duh. I walk up to a grave and see him roll back a stone. Guy's been in there four days, starting to stink. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he walks out. I'm going to believe. Makes all the sense in the world to me, right? How could you not believe if you see a dead man who had been there four days walk out? The only way that you could not believe in that instance is if you absolutely were dead set, hardened, and refused to believe. I said a couple weeks ago in a sermon that there are people who will refuse to believe the, what they know to be true because they don't like the truth. Some people are going to refuse to believe what they know is true because they don't like the truth. Right now we're seeing it in our culture all around us. We'll deny evidence, we'll deny the truth because we don't like the truth. And, and that phenomenon is not just on one side of a political aisle or another. That phenomenon is throughout our culture. If I don't like it, if, even if it's true, if I don't like it, I'm going to say it's not true. So you have these people. You have the people that believe, but then you have verse 46. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They tattled. Oh my gosh! Now, he, he, he healed that blind guy that had been blind from birth? That was bad. People are starting to follow him and believe because of that. He, he raised that guy from, from the, the, that had been lame from birth for over 30 years. People, people started to believe and started following, but, but you know what he's doing now? He's raising up dead people. He's going to empty the graves. What are we going to do? They go back and they tattle on Jesus, and, then, and Jesus, uh, the scripture says the chief priest and the Pharisees convene the Sanhedrin. It's like the high court of Jerusalem. They're in a panic. If Jesus keeps healing people, he keeps raising up dead people, people are going to believe in Jesus. They're going to follow him. They're not going to follow us. And then the Jews, the, the, the Romans are going to get mad. They're going to take our nation away from us, and we're going to lose our power. We got to do something about Jesus. We got to put an end to this. I did think about that for a moment. He just, he just raised Lazarus from the grave who'd been there four days. You think you could stop him if he wanted to be stopped? He'd raise up an army of dead people and they wouldn't be zombies. They'd be alive. He could raise Solomon from the grave. He, he, he could bring, bring David back. He could bring David's army back. Jesus is raising up dead people. They're not thinking straight. Why, how can their brain be so frozen and so hardened that they're not thinking straight? It's because of something that's in their heart. Their heart has become so hardened to the truth. They believe a lie, even when the truth stands right in front of them. Jesus stood there and said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus walks out, and they're going, man, we've got to kill him now. Uh, it's interesting that, that Caiaphas, the high priest, he prophesied, and he said, well you know what, don't, don't panic too much because uh, it, it makes sense. One guy can die for the whole nation. He wasn't, he wasn't necessarily predicting Jesus as a Messiah there. He was predicting, hey, if we kill Jesus, it'll save the nation. He'll be the sacrifice, right? We kill Jesus, and that puts an end to all of this, and the Romans won't come after us. And, 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 but what he didn't know was that his prophecy was part true. Jesus wasn't just going to die for the nation. He was going to die for all the nations. Jesus was going to die so that all of God's children, anyone who believed in him, would be brought together under one banner. They'd be brought together under Christ. 
and they'd find hope and new life in Jesus. We can stand firm when life's confusing. We can stand firm when life stinks. The reason that we can stand firm is because of the resurrection, because in Christ is life. We can stand firm because Jesus raises the dead. And whatever is dead in your life, he can heal it and bring it back to life. We can stand firm regardless of what else is going around us because we put our faith and trust in the one who can raise the dead. There's a lot of things in life that seem final. Sometimes marriages seem final. Sometimes jobs seem final. Sometimes we, we go through stages in life. But the, most, the, the one thing that seems to have the most finality to it is death. When a body's put in that grave and the stone is rolled across it. But Scripture tells us today that even what seems the most impossible is not impossible with God. Because he even raises the dead. And if he can raise the dead, he can transform your life. But you have a choice. You really do have a choice. You can respond like those who saw it and believed, or you can respond with a hardened heart and turn away and say, we got we to gotta get rid of Jesus. You live in a culture right now where it's going to be hard to stand. You're going to have to learn to stand when others won't. Christian, you're going to have to take a stand when others won't. You're going to be, have to be willing to take a stand when your friends won't take a stand. But you ultimately have the choice. And, and, and Christ will be with you. He'll walk with you and he'll empower you. But you have to make that choice. Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? He is the Lord. He is the one who died on the cross for my sins. And I have hope for every area of my life. I have hope for abundant life. Because Jesus is who he says he is. Or, even if that seems to be true, I don't like it. And I don't want to submit my life to that Christ, and I'm going to turn it, I'm going to run from it. Christ, he loves you so much that he's, he's speaking to you and he's drawing you to him right now, but he won't force you to do anything. He'll call you, he'll woo you, but he won't force you. So you have a choice. You're going to choose to follow him and stand, or you're going to, you're going to turn and run. This morning, for the first time in a year, we're going to have an altar call. We're going to have an invitation. And if Christ is calling, if you sense his spirit calling you to make a public commitment to him, maybe you've never put your faith in Christ before. You've never come and said, I believe. I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to be up here, and Kevin and Nathan are going to be up here with me. I'd ask you to come and take one of our hands and let us know. If, if today's the day that you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, Today's it. I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. I'm going to follow Jesus from this day forward. I believe that he is who he says he is. I want to follow him. I want you to come forward and meet with one of us. It may simply be that God's calling you to the altar to pray. Maybe there's something in your life that you feel like is overwhelming. There's an addiction. There's a sin that has so overwhelmed you that it feels like it's impossible to overcome. Christ has come to set you free and he'll set you free from that. Or maybe you're just overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and things seem so confusing, they seem so out of hand, and you just need to know his presence. You can come pray. There may be other things that God's calling you to do. Maybe he's called you to join this church family. 
in the last year, we've just having to talk to you uh, out of, during office hours. But if, if you feel God's calling you to come be a part of this church family, you're a born-again believer, and you'd like to join us, come down and talk to one of us. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a part of this church family.